I'm done. I can't do it anymore. I'm empty. There isn't enough. Have you ever felt these words rising deep down in your bones? That feeling that when you, you've reached the absolute edges of your capacity and there is nothing left, even small things feel impossibly large. There's no margin left to referee yet another argument between your kids or to try and balance a budget that just doesn't stretch far enough to pay the bills. To find patience for that work colleague with impossible expectations. And those words begin to rise from deep within your bones. I am done. We all know that we can't shear water from an empty well. But where do you go when you don't have enough energy anymore to keep on digging? In Luke 9, we find Jesus has taken himself and the disciples off to recharge alone with God, only to be interrupted soon after with steadily gathering crowds. Now, the disciples have just returned from having spent what's probably weeks, um, maybe longer, away preaching the gospel. They've been healing the sick and the broken, and they've seen and done miraculous things. They have sat with the vulnerable, comforted the broken, and they've known God's presence with them and working through them. And yet when they return to Jesus, they are no longer riding the high of those weeks of successful ministry. Adrenaline depression has well and truly kicked in and they are tapped out. As more and more people begin to crowd in looking for comfort, direction, healing, they retreat to Jesus. Please send the people away. They need to eat and we don't have enough to feed them. The disciples have given themselves to others in beautiful and selfless ways. And they've seen God provide and move amongst the people, bringing healing and reconciliation. And they have been a vital part of what God is doing. But at this moment, they find themselves empty, lost and desperate for a respite. Please, Jesus, send them away. There isn't enough. Have you ever felt those words deep in your bones? You can see the need in front of you. You know it's real and tangible, but when you look at what you're holding in your hands, it's just not enough to meet the need. You feel defeated, depleted. When we don't have the energy to keep digging for loving water, where do we go? Something that strikes me about this passage is 
a way that it reveals this natural tension between our desire to provide for others and the genuine need for rest. When the disciples hit empty, they do two key things to sustain themselves, and they happen simultaneously. They return to Jesus and one another. They seek out connection with God and one another. Solitude and community both play a role in providing the disciples with the water they need to sustain continued ministry. Both play a role in allowing us to experience real rest. When we feel tapped out, one of the temptations we face is to withdraw not just from activity, doing all the things, but from relationships. And this is especially difficult for those who work or whose work or their daily activity is entangled with relationships. For the disciples, as for parents, teachers, nurses, doctors, counsellors, pastors, camp directors, youth workers, the list goes on. The temptation is to let go because there isn't enough left in us. This is when we need to return and sit at the feet of Jesus and receive from the waterhole that never runs dry. And if we are too tired to stand, that's when we need to allow ourselves to be carried because sometimes we really can't make it on our own. Solitude is essential to rest, but isolation is not the same as solitude. Regular periods of solitude of taking ourselves out to recharge are life-giving and ultimately they fuel our connectedness with God and others. But when we isolate ourselves, it leaves us feeling disconnected and lonely. Rather than refueling, it leaves us with an even greater emptiness. When we've lost the will to dig, this is when we most need each other because then we can be carried. John Huckins writes of missional community, we carry each other to Jesus because we can't always get there on our own. The living water which fills us flows from our connectedness. We know and are known by God and by others. We return to the watering hole, and when we are too tired to walk, we carry each other. But being carried requires deep trust and mutual respect. It requires a deeper kind of community than many of us often experience. M. Scott Peck, in his book, A Different Drum, describes um, some of the different stages of community that can lead us to deeper engagement with others. Um, and he has these five stages of community. And the first stage is casual community. And this is uh, 
when we're first kind of moving into into getting to know new people or a new group of people and we're kind of in this loose acquaintance stage and then the next stage is pseudo community which sounds bad but actually this is the beginning of building depth of relationship and connection with others um, it's not deep community uh, but it is real community um, relationships are often really well, are, are really harmonious in the stage and conflicts and differences aren't acknowledged or worked through so things feel pretty good and they might even look good but there isn't that kind of depth underneath the, the surface of the water and then the third stage of, of um, community is chaos Sounds like fun, doesn't it? Chaos. This is when uh, we allow conflicts and differences to surface. Um, and what often happens when we're uh, building community um, and, and engaging more deeply in relationships with people is when we hit this point of chaos and these conflicts and differences starts to rise up to the surface, that's when we go, oh, I'm done. It's enough. This is, this is just, this is crazy. Um, because this is when things get really difficult um, and it's, it's the most difficult stage of community for us to weather. But if we're able to, to stick with it, then what happens is we move into catharsis. And this is when our biases and prejudice, prejudices are examined and acknowledged. And we start to become really honest both about ourselves and about others and relationships start to open up. Um, and move to a deeper level. And then as we move through that, we come into the fifth stage, deeper community, where we develop mutual respect and empathy and the ability to hold and maintain relationships, even in the midst of conflict. Now, none of these stages is wrong and each is absolutely necessary to build the kind of relationships which allow us to carry one another and they're also quite fluid. I'm sure if you um, take time to reflect on some of the different groups and communities that you've been a part of in your life, you'll be able to see that at times you cycle back through different stages. Peck, Peck suggests that we hit peak discomfort in that chaos stage. For many, the challenge of managing conflict there is just too great and they opt out and we'll either completely opt out and go find some new group or community to, to uh, start again with, or else they'll just move back to pseudo community and uh, the conflicts were too much. So we'll just pretend that they're not really there, um, which is highly tempting. <laughs> um, and so pseudo community can feel better in the moment, but it doesn't provide that deep connection with others that we crave. One of the great myths of community is that it never means being in conflict. But in reality, it's our ability to walk through conflict together that determines the depth of our relationships. Like a family, we won't always agree on or approach things the same way. We all have our own way to approach stacking the dishwasher, so to speak but we have shared values and respect which hold us together. We all want the dishwasher cycle to end with unbroken dishes that are clean. Shared values and respect. 
but maybe different stacking methods. We don't reach this kind of connection overnight. And realistically, we won't have that kind of relationship with everyone. Um, and the bad news is that it's still going to be work. We actually have to put in hours to cultivate the kind of life that God has called us to faithfully live. Deeper community is much harder work than pseudo community, but it is also much risk, risk ugh, not richer. It, <laughs> it is much richer, not risker. It is riskier. Slip of the tongue is, is uh, perhaps truth unintentionally. Um, yeah, so pseudo community is harder work, but deeper, deeper, sorry, deeper community is harder work than pseudo community, but it is much richer. And we need it because when we get to those times when we are too tired to stand alone, we will only be able to carry each other to the waterhole if we built enough trust to know that we won't get dropped at the first bump on the road. Sometimes as the church, I think we can confuse ministry and serving together with this deeper community. And sometimes it is. We can experience really deep connection with others through serving. Uh, but sometimes, maybe even often, it's not. We can be with one another in the same room and feel lonely. We can serve alongside one another and not really know one another. We are so busy doing the work that we lose each other. The miracle in the story that we've heard from Luke's gospel isn't just about the filling of bellies, which is absolutely a miracle. And its significance is not to be ignored or diminished. It is a really big deal. But the other part of this miracle is the pockets of community that form. Jesus instructs the disciples to gather the crowds into smaller groups, and he involves them in, in doing that. Groups that paid no attention to social distinctions or structures, where food and stories are shared. Jesus doesn't just act to fill their bellies. He fills their souls, their need for connection with one another. They begin as crowds of individuals. But the final picture is groups of people sharing the intimacy of a meal, community and connectedness. And the community of friendship that Jesus builds with the 12 disciples and then an extension of this, of this and these groups that gather to shield, share in this meal that Jesus offers are precursors to the community we see emerging in Acts 2, 42, 47. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread together in homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. There are times when we need to withdraw just as Jesus did, and just as the disciples did. Taking a break is not the same as giving up, and solitude is not the same as isolation. These times of withdrawal that we see here 
lead to deeper engagement with Christ in community. One of the practices which Jesus engaged and which we encourage a lot here at Session is Sabbath keeping. And more than just being about refraining from work, observing the Sabbath involves taking regular time to focus on beauty, worship, and rest. Now, when I first began to explore the value of Sabbath rest, it was something I leaned into for myself, for my own need for rest and for reconnection with God. And it was enriching and valuable. But the more that I've leaned into it as a practice, the more I have learned, um, both from my reading about it and from my experience of it, is that in a Jewish context, observing the day of rest and worship isn't something that people did for themselves alone. Sabbath is practiced by and for the whole community. The rules and guidelines that we find in the Old Testament for Sabbath keeping are there to ensure not just that some can rest or that I can rest, but that everyone can rest, regardless of their social status, gender, or the kind of work that filled their daily life. Everyone was to be enabled with the opportunity to rest and to worship. Everyone was to enjoy time with God and with community. The rest of the Sabbath fuels connectedness and celebration. As Jesus tells us, God made the Sabbath for us, not us for the Sabbath. When we sit together, eat together, share stories, we are invited into deeper relationships with God and one another. And even if that sitting together and eating together and sharing stories is online and rather than in person, it's still an invitation into those deeper relationships. When the disciples come to Jesus asking for respite, Jesus responds with miraculous provision. For a Jewish reader hearing this story, as Luke tells it, it would stir echoes of a familiar story in Exodus 16, where God provides food in the wilderness for the people of God. In that story, the Israelites are told to collect only food for the day. And in contrast, Jesus graciously provides not only what is required, but an overabundance of food. There are leftovers, 12 baskets full. The mercy and provision of God are extended without boundaries or conditions. We don't need to dig and dig and dig for the water. Christ's invitation is to come and drink from the deep. And there is more than enough to go around. I want to invite you to pause for a moment. Um, and uh, if you are at home um, or if you're at the depot, if you want to take a moment to just um, make yourself comfortable, maybe close your eyes, um, just find a little bit of, of stillness. 
And if you're maybe out walking, you maybe probably don't want to close your eyes because that could end badly. Um, but just just uh, take a moment to, to kind of pause and find some stillness even as you're walking or moving. And I'm just going to ask you a series of questions. I just want you to sit with each question and it, just allow it to sit with you and, and, and God to reveal what the answer to that is for you right now in this moment. Let's listen together. What is it that you need from Christ today? What do you need from others? Now, if you're at the depot or at home, if you've got um, a journal or a piece of paper and a pen, you might want to grab it for this bit. I want you to think about one small action that you could take that would help you to move towards um, deeper connection with God to provide for what you need from Christ today. What's one small action that you could take, one little step. And what's one small action you could take toward a deeper connection with others? It could be as small as putting a hand wave in the Facebook um, live comments. Just say, hey, I'm here, see me. Or it could be calling a friend or writing a letter, snail mail or an email. Um, to a friend, whatever, just a movement towards deeper connection. It can be, um, it can it can feel really vulnerable uh, to take a move towards Christ and and towards others. But I encourage you to think about what that small action could be for you today and what it might look like to take that step. <laughs> 